Welcome to We Are Unstoppable, sponsored by the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. I'm your host, Les Shapiro. And I'm your co-host, Vic Lombardi. Now, each episode, we'll bring inspiring interviews with great athletes, celebrities, and the most brilliant minds in medicine on how to beat adversity to win in life. So thanks for spending time with us as we bring you one step closer to becoming your best unstoppable self. We're joined by former Major League Baseball player and former manager of the Colorado Rockies and Pittsburgh Pirates, Clint Hurdle. So, Clint, after the 2019 season, you retired. At least you're not wearing a baseball uniform anymore, and you might never wear a uniform anymore. But front office possibilities, you never know. Are you, in fact, retired? I am, and I feel very, very uh, measured on that. That was a lot of thought was put in, man. It was just something I came up with overnight. Um, I got fired the last day of the season. I had almost six weeks to reflect on what might be next, what could be next, what I wanted to do next. Uh, and I went through a, I got a lot of calls. I got uh, an interview. By the time I landed back home after the interview, I had a job proposal. San Diego, right? Yeah, San Diego. And I had two more teams talk to me about a bench coach opportunity and sat down with Carl and just started walking through things again. And I just decided, left it. It's, it's been too much time on the road. I have two teenagers in the house. Carl and I have been married 20 years. So for 20 years, I've been half a husband. I've been half a half a dad to Maddie for you know the 17 years she's been with us. A half a dad to Christian the 15 years he's been with us. Regardless of what people think, I'm gone half the year, even in the off season. You're, you're gone. You're doing things, and I felt strongly about not making my family adapt, improvise, and overcome to meet my schedule anymore. My cup's runneth over. I've been blessed beyond measure. It was just enough. It, it is a career in broadcasting on the horizon? Can you see yourself doing this? Uh, Vic, I've had some opportunities to have conversations right now. Uh, what needs to be next is I need to be at home. Um, and I've found enough things to keep me busy that I don't think I'm making anybody here go too crazy right now. Broadcasting, you know, front office possibility, the right team, the right position uh, where I could impact and influence, that might make a difference, but no more uniform. Clint, there are so many hurdles that you've had to overcome throughout your playing and your managing career. And and I want to start first with the Sports Illustrated cover in 1978. You're on the cover of Sports Illustrated. It's just you. And it says the next phenom, the game's next phenom. That to me, that doesn't seem fair to me to put that onus on a kid who's what were you, 20, 21 years old? How did you deal with that when you saw your face there? And I'm guessing you took a lot of guff from people all over baseball about that. Well, that, that was one of the reckoning points probably in my, in my young life. Spring training, Fort Myers, 1978. I'm trying to make a club. And that was still a time in baseball where young people were meant to be seen, not heard, young players. And there was a, you know, somewhat of a, a cast system in place. Young players showed up. And there were still some older players that didn't go out of their way to embrace younger players. There were some that did. But it was could be territorial. And you're talking about jobs. You're talking about money. Um, there was a different game at that time. So to show up that day of spring training after my, you know, my the coming out day when the, the photo shoot came out and the, and the magazine was, was out, they put 
a, they put a copy in everybody's locker. Oh, boy. Probably about you know, 5, 6 o'clock in the morning. Brutal. So everybody got it, and I didn't know that. Also, I didn't know when it was going to come out, so I actually was on my way to the park that morning. I used to get uh, a half gallon of milk and a honey bun. Breakfast of champions. That's how I roll <laughs> before I start my spring training day. And I can remember, this is back in the day, you guys may remember, but you go to a 7-Eleven, and there was three magazines that were sold. There was Time, Newsweek, and Sports Illustrated, mm-hmm. and they were on the counter. There wasn't a magazine rack. They were on the counter. So I put the honey bun up, I put the milk up, I looked at a guy about my age that's got the cash register, and he looked at me, he looked at the magazine, I looked at the magazine, first time I saw it when it was on the counter in a 7-Eleven. Wow. Did he give it to you free at least? No, it never even got to that point. He looked at me, I looked at him, he looked at me, I looked at him, and I walked out. No milk, no honey bun. I just was froze. I was frozen. I get in the car trying to think this thing through, go, oh my gosh. And then... You know, how's it going to show up? What's going to happen? Well, it was bittersweet. It was good. The ribbing was good and healthy, but there was, you know, a lot of other comments made that weren't quite as healthy as some. So it was a pretty crazy day from a psychological standpoint. Um, I could say I never recovered, but, you know, you move through it, you move on. Fair, fair is not even an option back in the day. You know, it wasn't about fair. That's just the way things were run. We didn't have, rookies didn't have a, a session in Washington or a, you know, a place to go to where you where you get classes and exercises to work on how to present, how to listen, how to show up. Um, at that time, Dean Vogelar did the best he could with me in Kansas City. He didn't have much to work with, but it was a crazy time. What, what advice would you have, Clint, about young players who have that burden of expectation? Man, many not like yours. I mean, that's as, that's as big as it gets. But what do you do to overcome that expectation that sometimes can weigh very heavily on a young athlete? Well, I was fortunate to have that experience the rest of my coaching and managerial experience because a lot of number one drafts came through that door. A lot of big-time players came through my door. And, you know, sometimes it was good times, sometimes it was hard times. But to have that, that experience in your pocket and I could share with them, you know, I'm not sure what's going to work, but I can probably tell you what won't work. Don't believe your, your press clippings. Uh, the same people that can write you up can write you down. And – it's no, never mind. At the end of the day, it's, it's what have you done for me lately? I found that that lesson out. You're never going to make everybody happy. So don't wear yourself out trying. Um, one of the other lessons that I learned is through that period is say 10 people read that article. There's 10 different perspectives on that article. 10 people look at me, could look at me 10 different ways. I realized down the road, I can't control what other people say, what other people think, and what other people do. I didn't recognize that quick enough. Uh, that took me some time. People that hunt good will find good. People that hunt bad will find bad. So I share that with the player, and I tell them to respect everything and fear nothing because that cover put me in a different place. Um, I had guys throwing at me in spring training didn't even know me, and I don't, there was no other reason, but it was the cover. You know, you're a 20-year-old kid. You get your picture on a the cover. There's guys played 15 years and never got a cover. So don't think about fair. Think about controlling what you can control, and that's your preparation, your work ethic, uh, the kind of teammate you show up, uh, and just stay focused on the things that are in your control because there's so many things that aren't that could just wear you out and, and exhaust you in trying. Well, for those who don't know, you had a 10-year major league career. Uh, you ended with, a, a, I believe, a 265 lifetime uh, batting average. And um, and you, you got your fair share of starts. You had a pretty nice World Series. You were 5 for 12 in the World Series for Kansas City. But primarily a, a utility player. Is that a fair characterization? 
it went from playing every day to platooning to being a, yeah, a, a bench player. Um, and it was a 10-year career, which from my mind showed perseverance, resiliency, showed some grit, some courage, but it wasn't what the experts, you know, had, had thrown out there early on. And some of that falls in my lap, no doubt. Most of it falls in my lap. Performance levels had always been good through the minor leagues, and they weren't the same at the big leagues. Obviously, it's a much better league to play. However, that was one of the struggles I went through and what I should have been in everybody else's eyes. And I didn't get to a point probably soon enough where I just need to be the best me I can be. And I just need to do the best job I can do. And whatever opportunity is there for me today on this team, that's what I need to show up and focus into. Um, I tried to listen to a lot of people, and a lot of people mean well. But again, it goes back to you can't make everybody happy. And if you've got a hitting coach that's asking you to do one thing and a manager that's asking you to do another thing, and you've got players that are telling you to try this thing, who do you listen to? I should have just listened to the manager. He's the one with the pen, write your name in the lineup, right? I should listen to him all the time. However, people are trying to make their points, trying to coach you up or educate you or, or give you some good advice. But again, too many voices. Uh, too many different messages. Um, so it was a, it wasn't like a, a walk through the park in my career. It was more or less an obstacle course with a lot of learning. <laughs> you got really close to, to the Hall of Famer, George Brett. How, how did he help your career or not? You know, George did. No, there was no, he did. He, he took me in. Uh, he taught me a lot of things, a lot of different ways to respect the game. Uh, his work ethic was as good as anybody I've ever run across. He wasn't a very good defender when he came up. He turned to be worked hard and became a goal lover. Could hit. I fell out of bed. And he could hit. One of the funniest things he would tell me all the time: we'd, we'd go out to the national anthem and stand on. He always stand next to me. He goes, "Let's get four hits today." And I'd be like, "He actually did it my first game in the big leagues." No, he goes, "Let's get five hits." I go, "Yeah, yeah, we'll get five hits." He goes, "I'll get four. You get one. All right." <laughs> and that became that became a standing joke. You know, he just looked at me during the national with five hits today. I go, yeah, George, five hits today, whatever you say, buddy. But the way to play the game, the way to respect the game, the way to honor the game, um, all those things. Um, he also was a free spirit. And in some ways I wanted to be like George and I tried to be a free spirit and I wasn't capable of being as free of the spirit as he was all, you know, yeah. there was also a part of me that thought I didn't play well during the game. I needed to find a way to show up after the game. George had a tremendous ability. He was cutting that old cloth where he could, he could play hard and he could go out uh, after the game and have a very good time. Still the next day be unaffected. Um, sometimes I had some lag time involved, but he was nothing but good. He was nothing but caring. He was nothing but a really great teammate and obviously a Hall of Fame player. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with former manager Clint Hurdle. We Are Unstoppable is sponsored by the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. You know, Les, when I got hit with prostate cancer, it's the first place I turn to because I know the Anschutz Campus, they really delve into breakthrough technology. If there's something new on the horizon, I know they've got it. And I was hit with lung cancer, and that's where I get treated as well, at the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. They've got me up and running. They've made me unstoppable. Lest they made us unstoppable, and they're located right here in the heart of the Rocky Mountain region. We're back with former player, former manager of the Rockies and Pirates, Clint Hurdle. 
You've talked a lot about your alcoholism early in your career, and you're still a proud advocate of uh, AA. And, and I always wonder, do you believe when you look back at it now, Clint, was that born out of the expectations, the high expectations, or do you think that was inherent? Was that there before the baseball? It wasn't inherent. I drank myself into alcoholism, trying to find ways to cope with adversity, failure, in my mind. Another lesson I learned later on is failure is an event. It's not a person. There's a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is when you make a mistake. Shame when you say, I am a mistake. Uh, and I fought through those emotions a lot early in my major league career. But it was also, you almost felt like it was there, there was some okayness to it. You know, I actually worked at a place called Coors Field for many years. And it named ballparks at Bush Stadium. Uh, Coors Field, if you win, you had a few beers. If you lost, you had a few beers. You got rained out, you had a bunch of beers because you didn't play. But it came down to the simple reality is that I used it to numb my, my feelings. And I, I used it as I thought it was an escape. But the, the problem I never realized until it was almost too late was that everything I felt would show up in the next morning once the numbing was over, once the alcohol uh, was gone. You know, I still have to face the next day, the challenges that the, the day before provided, whether it was lack of performance or whatever it was. So that was all on me. That was me trying to really just deal with, yes, expectations, other people's expectations, and not letting giving myself any a safety zone. Or really, I always felt I wasn't enough. And I realized later on that I am enough. I just had to stop drinking. Let's talk about the managerial career. Um, early on in your managerial career, first with Colorado Rockies, you and Carla gave birth to Madison. And Madison had Prater-Willie syndrome. How difficult was it for you to concentrate on your day-to-day duties, managing a ball club and 25 other players and being the, the face and the voice of an organization while you had the difficulties at home with Madison? Actually, in the beginning, it was a, an escape. Um, that's one of the other lessons I've learned in the last six months being at home is the tremendous load that my wife has carried throughout these years with Madison, 17 years. Maddie's a junior right now. However, I got to go to the park. Even in the infancy, we found out Maddie's, when your child's born with a birth defect, you want to talk about uh, a, a kick in the gut. You know, we took that long walk down a corridor in an empty room, and it was sterile. And the doctor looked at us and said, I'm sorry, but we have found out what was wrong, and it's Prader-Willi syndrome, and it's a birth defect. And then she got to the point where, you know, there is no recordable cure for any birth defect in the history of medicine or science so far. However, here's the way that we can try and level the playing field. Here are the therapies involved. So it was a bitter, horribly bittersweet message. But then at the end of the day, I'd get up early and do my chores, and at 12 o'clock, 11, I'm gone. I come back at 11, and then asleep. So it was a break for me to focus on something else, and I needed to be all in when I was all in at Coors Field with the players, the coach, and staff. For the game. However, there came a point in time a few months later that I think it was in Houston. We went to Houston for a three or four game series. And I got to that hotel room and out of nowhere, I started crying. I cried all morning. I cried almost. I went to the park. I went to the park. I put on a good face and managed the game. I came back that night. I cried. I cried for three days. My wife had dealt with the brunt emotionally right out of the bat. I can't imagine to carry a child um, and give birth to your firstborn. And then she's got a birth defect. 
And then your mind starts racing. Will she ever get married? Will she ever go to the prom? You know, at the end of the day, we had to slow everything down. And, and really, one of the principles in AA is one day at a time. We had to learn how to live in mass one day at a time. So I had the escape. Carla never did. But eventually it caught up to me, the weight of trying to just continue to stuff emotions and feelings in my back pocket. And it was good that I got them out. How is she doing today, Clint? She's mainstreaming. She is in some ways, she's over, <laughs> I hate the term, and I, I was about to use it, but overachieving. Does overachieving mean we just underestimated somebody? <laughs> <laughs> you know, because we'll, we'll use that term. Well, he's an overachiever. Really? Or did we just not think he was that good? And he's turned out to be really good. Um, Maddie's doing some things we never thought she might be able to do. She's mainstreaming through school. She's in the 11th grade. She's been in the photography club. She's been in swimming. Uh, she's in chorus. Uh, she's kind of like the town crier at school before school got quarantined, but she was telling who was kissing who, who's holding whose hands, who's hanging out, loves the socialization, loves her teachers. So still swimming, still exercising, still doing things. She's 17 in some ways, and there's parts of her that will always be 12. And that's the challenge. However, she's our Maddie, and we love her with all our guts, and she's special. We've got a boy here now, 15, Christian, my, my buddy Christian. It's incredible how cool he is in working within the family structure and helping his sister because, you know, in many ways he's bypassed his sister relationship-wise, social uh, graces-wise, uh, many aspects learning-wise. So he still has such a humble servant's heart, but he never rubs it in her face. Although she'll be the first one to tell you that she's made every honor roll since she's been in school. And sometimes that doesn't sit very, very well with Christian. It's, it's great that you're able to spend more time at home now. I, I wouldn't blame you if you stayed retired and, and just spent time with the two kids. You almost have to when they're teenagers, but uh, Glenn, I don't know if you're aware, um, Vic and I have both had bouts with cancer recently, Vic, his prostate and, uh, and I'm still fighting lung cancer right now. I didn't know this until you sent this to me in the email that in 2015, you had bladder cancer. Was that not publicized? You were managing the Pittsburgh Pirates at the time. And I go looking through, I, I, I go Googling for a story on it. There's nothing. Did you just keep it under the radar purposely? We kept it under the radar purposely. Um, you know, that's one of the things that my story, when I share with people is, man, I'm a flawed man. I've had to deal with adversity. Uh, it hasn't been a yellow brick road to be divorced twice and to experience the collateral damage of that, work through it, and then to get married for a third time, been married 20 years. I'm a recovering alcoholic, 21 years of sobriety. We have a child with a birth defect, and I'm a cancer survivor. Um, it was just like another gut check for me that, okay, uh, what's our options? I talked to the doctor, and there was a surgery in place, and the surgery was performed. And I went back for three months. Check. Yeah, that was my first trip to a urologist as well. And what a crazy kind of ride that is going through that process and then having to go back every three months for two and a half years to be rechecked. And now it's a yearly check. It's an annual check. And I've been cancer-free since the surgery uh, in late November of 2015. However, was diagnosed. And who knows how it could have gone. He said, there's no guarantees, but here's what we can do to try and, and to, to get rid of it. Um, but we kept that one under the wrap just with all, everything else that was going on. We figured enough was enough and we'd keep that one in house. 
Uh, that's uh, remarkable that you were able to keep it in-house given uh, today and uh, how much information gets out about it. Did the, did the team know? Did, did the players know? No, you know what? A couple of them did only because they came to me with stories about their dads having cancer and one player in particular's dad had bladder cancer. The senior leadership group knew because I wanted to make sure they knew in case, you know, in case we had the surgery and he would have said, no, we got, now we've got to take it, you know, to the next degree. It probably would have become a story if the one surgery, it was kind of a one and done. Actually was a one and done. The one surgery got the cancer, all the checkups, turned out to be uh, benign since then, you know, if it headed in a different direction, maybe some time off. So I'm like, yeah, absolutely. It would become a story. But the owner, team president, general manager, my coaching staff knew, and then a, probably a handful of players, but who know what those, those players could have told every other player. I don't know that. But the ones I shared it with, there was three players in particular that all came to me with their fathers having cancer. And what were my thoughts or what were my encouragement? And I shared with them my story and they were like, Holy cow. I actually picked up some common fabric with the dads that I developed relationships with them. You know, I, I, I'm amazed at the collection of things that you had to get through to, to have as successful a career as you did 10 years in the majors, 17 years managing the majors, eight with the Rockies, nine with the pirates. Not only that, let me throw this in, although compared to all the other things uh, you've had to get through in life. This probably seems small, but with the Rockies, you're the only manager in their 26-year history that took them to a World Series. And with the Pirates, they hadn't had winning seasons for 20 straight. That's a record, 20 straight years. Yet you got them there and you took them to the playoffs for three straight years. So you got through that as well. What was it about you and your attitude on a day-in, day-out basis that allowed you to work through all of these things, things that would stop other people in their tracks. Just one of these things could have stopped any normal human being in their tracks, but you just kept breaking through these barriers and fighting through these things. I was very fortunate and blessed to have certain people at certain time in, in my journey show up for me and really tell me the truth. Sometimes it was a hard truth, but it was the truth. Sometimes it was tough love, but it was love. Started with my father after my second divorce. I was moaning and groaning about something and he said you know what son it's time to take a walk and i had to take a walk with my dad i think i was 31 years old i didn't take a walk with my dad a long time i said okay we walked and we walked and he just kept telling me says you still don't get it i said what's well, it because life's not fair there's no guarantee life's going to be fair you've had a hand in both these things you've been the common denominator in both these things you've been the common denominator in your career how it went why it went he said, you need to figure out what you want to be. What's your why? What are you going to do the rest of your life here? Well, my dad gave me that first kind of come to Jesus talk. Then later on, I met the guy that we're actually celebrating the 10th anniversary of his passing in Colorado today, Kelly McGregor, where I was starting to grow in my faith and I was starting to grow in my why. What could I do to be of service to others? I mean, I showed up in Colorado. Dick Balderson hand chose me to be a minor league hitting director. I knew one person. I knew of people. I only knew one person in the Rockies organization in 93 when I, when I joined them. And in 2002, I was given an opportunity to lead the organization as the manager. Dan O'Dowd's belief, Kelly McGregor's belief, Jerry McMorris's belief, Dick Monfort's belief, but it was Kelly that took me aside and said, hey, he said, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? What do you want to do as a manager? What do you want to do as a husband and a father? And we basically put together a blueprint for my life, personally and professionally. And he held me to it. We had sidebar meetings. We had walks. We had talks. We had coffee. Um, 
So he was very instrumental, probably as much as any man in my life. He's one, been one of the few men early on in my life that poured into me because he just cared about me. It had nothing to do with athletics. It had nothing to do with uh, a coaching skill set, a managerial skill set, a playing skill set. He didn't want anything out of it other than for me to be the best person person that I could be because he felt that that way would put me in a good position of managing the club, of being a good husband, of being a good father, of being a good friend, of being a loyal and good employee. So it was basically what did I want to do with the rest of my life? And I, I've never been afraid to work. And I think that's been one of my strengths. I may not be the smartest guy in the room, um, but I got a strong back. And I was never afraid to roll my sleeves up, go to work, ask questions. No, I didn't know it all but figure out who did and how I could get them on board. How could they teach me? Um, I just felt that there was more there. I didn't know what that was going to be, but I didn't want to be a never was a has been. I wanted to be somebody that could help others be, I wanted to be of service to others and to be somebody they looked at and go, that, that's an honest man. That's a man of integrity. That was about it. Well, yeah. And, and one of the ways you do that is, I mean, do you continue to send inspirational quotes to people on a daily basis, your friends and, and, and work colleagues? I know I used to get them. Yeah, I do. Um, actually, yeah, technology-wise, I mean, that whole thing started with Kelly giving me a big, fat push. He didn't want to be in the group, but I started to do a whole leadership session in Colorado in 2009. There was 12 of us. And after the end of the, the session, I would put the notes together and text them out. And at the bottom, I would put, make a difference today, love Clint. Well, I got fired at the end of, the, end of May, and uh, it was over the July 4th weekend that I got a call from one of the employees in the organization. And she said, Hey, Clint, how you doing? I'm like, well, I'm doing okay. Doing pretty good. It's 4th of July, my first vacation, summer vacation in 35 years. Uh, how are you doing? She goes, well, not really, really well. I missed those meetings. I missed the lessons. I missed the text. And the fact that the, you wrote at the bottom, make a difference today. She goes, you're not making a difference anymore. And you said you'd let him those love Clint. She said, I don't think you love me. And I just kind of went, wow, wow. All right. I hung up the phone with her. I looked, my wife was looking at me. I said, what are you going to do? What happened? I told her, she goes, what are you going to do about it? So I started the texting. It's grown into an email. I send out two emails a day. One's a devotional and one's uh, an email of encouragement. And it's free. It's clinthurdle.com. And you, you hit the button and you subscribe. You know, it's free and easy. And, and they go out. They still go out. We've got about 4,500 subscribers now. Um, but it's just encouragement. We all need some. There was plenty of times in my life I needed some, and I found it through my alcoholism. I needed encouragement. There was people that showed up for me through that, through my divorces. There was people that showed up for me through those, through the, the cancer. There was people that showed up for me through those. And then just through the challenges of daily life. You know, there's a lot of people that helped me manage because, you know, they, they all knew I needed it in Colorado because everybody can hope to do the job better than you when you're the manager. But there's also people that really wanted to help. You know, it wasn't cynical. It wasn't with an agenda. So I've been fortunate because I think when we, again, when you look for good or you have the awareness to know that there are people out there that are willing to help you, if you'll give them the time, I think we'd all be surprised on what we could find because when things didn't go well for me, I isolated. I shut down. There wasn't going to be any help because I wasn't looking for any. Well, Clint, I want to personally thank you, and we'll wrap it up with this. I what you did for the Denver community in, in in 2007, that team, that run, that that Rocktober, I 
I've never seen anything like it. I've never experienced anything like it. And frankly, I don't think I ever will again. It was that rare a treat. And it uh, it certainly turned a lot of people into baseball fans here in the Colorado area. So thank you again. You're welcome. And just make sure you thank all those coaches and players as well. because It was a group effort, people in the organization. There's so many employees that were part of that, too, that are still there. I would just love to go back and look at that flag with them together down the left field line. So you're welcome. It was an honor to serve in Colorado, for sure. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to We Are Unstoppable, sponsored by the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. You want more Unstoppable Stories? Subscribe to our podcast wherever you find and listen to podcasts. You can even ask your smart speaker to play We Are Unstoppable Podcasts. And you can visit us at our website, unstoppablepodcasts.com, for more episodes and ways to subscribe. That's unstoppablepodcasts.com. Subscribe today. 